0: Shooting it raw? Yes. Shooting it
1: raw. Um, Well, I would say I I feel like I have a a challenging relationship with it now only because I have two little kids and you want to like capture it. It's like always a balance to me between capturing the moment and being present in the moment. And I feel like especially with two little ones, it's really hard to do both. So I feel like my wife constantly has her phone out. So all of our pictures are of me and the two boys and not her and the boys. And I don't know if it's because there's so much that comes with the phone, right? Like it's impossible to pick up your phone and not have some sort of notification, whether it's an email or a text message or a bank balance or whatever, right? Like so it isn't just picking up a camera. So I think that's a completely different thing is easy to get sucked in. But then also being like, I don't, performative I mean that's kind of where photography is for me right now is is with my kids and I feel like making them perform to capture an image that is representative of what we're doing takes away from the realness of
2: what we're doing
1: so I feel like that's a little bit hard for me now I mean I think always there's those images that you see that that move you but in in real life it's it's hard to, to see how to do both. And I feel like I'm so much more weighted now and trying to be present that I think I err on the side of not enough capture.
0: Perfect. Amazing. Uh, Ash Beckham. If I butcher your name, I'm sorry. But Ash Beckham, right? That's your name, Ash Beckham? Yeah.
1: That's it. Nailed it.
0: Great. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Uh, eventually, maybe tangentially, we'll get to to address the question of, you know, if life is a gift, how do we make every second count? I'm just going to get to know you. And I can tell right away from your energy and from your, let's just call it your personal brand, uh, that, you know, you're giving a lot of energy forward. And I love it. Like, it's waking me up. Thank you so much. <laughs> Good. So where in the world are you? I mean, I'm in Hong Kong and you're in?
1: I'm in uh, Longmont, Colorado, which is right outside of Boulder, probably 35 minutes from Denver.
0: Oh, nice. Nice. Okay. I've never been, but you know, it seems to be fine if, if you're there. So cool. Cool. Let's jump into the first photo. Shall we?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. So in a way, what's great is that you, you're, you've you curated the conversation and uh, we'll see where we end up. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. Um, and he, okay. So the mechanics uh, or the, the jeopardy of the show is that uh, I don't look at the photos beforehand. So I don't know what oh. I'm going to get. And I don't research my guests. Um, and you're going to be like, who is this clown? The photo is, it looks like a book cover. The, at the top in black uh, letters says Ash Beckham. And then step up in really big, bright white. Uh, letters and how to live with courage. Oh, how to live with courage and become an everyday leader. Okay, and then what it is? It's like it's it's like it's like a the person is like standing on a red, it's like a red pa- painted pavement or something. It's like it, but it's a red field, and you see somebody's um feet. So they're like photographing their feet from above, and they're wearing black. I don't know leggings, I guess, and uh, white converses maybe with white mm-hmm. laces so it's very stark like whoever designed this knows how to design a book cover it's beautiful very dramatic you don't know me i don't know you how to live with courage and become an everyday leader you have no idea how how much i connect to that so hey, okay, look take it away
1: oh yeah well that was um th- you know one of the most challenging things i've i've ever done was was write a book i was lucky enough that i had I did a couple of TED Talks and, and they got traction online and, and went viral and was kind of launched into the speaking career. Oh, wow. And there, you know, it's kind of this like route that it takes, right? Like you're not, your legitimacy maybe is rooted in whether or not you've written a book. And I like never, <laughs> even though I like, I wrote the speeches and delivered the speeches, like, you know, it was almost like it was a, uh, if you didn't have something to sell at the conference bookstore, uh-huh were you as good as people thought you were, right? And okay. so that didn't feel like a fit for me. Like, I never considered myself a writer. People were like, well, if you do, you know, a blog post every day, you've got 365, you like have enough. But I didn't want just words, right? Like right? I wanted there to be a message. And so I didn't, I had this, you know, I had a talk and it kind of pulled it out to like an hour long keynote address that I was giving at universities and corporate environments and conferences wow. and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, how do you make that a book? And then I was around all these people in these environments that were like, oh, I and it was the kind of this tack from like living authentically, and it kind of transitioned to to inclusivity mm-hmm. and authenticity being a leadership style. And so people would come up to me and say, Oh, Ash, I loved your talk. It was so great. When I get a promotion, when I finish my degree, when I manage a budget line that is X, when I have this many direct reports. I can't wait to use your leadership style. And okay. I was like, I don't know, like, that's not, that's not it. Like everybody, I would be in these rooms and I'd be like, who, who thinks they're a leader? And 40% of the people would raise their hand. And then I would say, who thinks the person sitting next to them is leader? And everyone would raise their mm-hmm. hand, right? It was mm-hmm. like a self-perception issue. Ah. So the book was kind of this way, I mean, twofold, right? Like that, that anybody from like the C-suite to sit on the bench on the, fifth grade basketball team, right? Like you can lead from exactly where you are. And then to bring in these ideas of authenticity and humility and empathy and courage and grace. And and these ideas that like every situation for you to be a leader, you kind of have to select what type of leader you want to be. Like it's always authentic. You know, they say whenever, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. But if you have all of these tools that you can draw from, you can almost like curate this recipe for this situation to be the leader that you need to be and that you want to be in that situation. And so that was the impetus of the book. And, and that, when I kind of came to that point, I was like, okay, I I can write about that.
2: Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. I
1: can, that feels impactful. That feels meaningful. That to me isn't like words on a page. It's uh, like a recipe book kind of.
0: Okay. Uh, I invite you to take a breath. That was amazing. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So in my history, my, you know, for 15 years, I, I worked with uh, Po Chung, who was a co founder of DHL. So, DHL is a global courier. And when I met him, he always spoke about leadership in a way like leadership to him was very present. Like, it really talked about leadership as a thing. And that was the the crux of most of the work that we did. So, when people imagine, like, Cause we're, we're in the more corporate business setting. Like when people, and here's a guy who, who arguably was the leader of an Asia Pacific arm of uh, DHL, which is just humongous. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just humongous. And so and I talked to him, so part of what my role was to do was to help him write books and to figure out how to articulate his leadership uh, philosophy and and tips. So, we would say that leadership is is kind of like, it's a distributed network. Uh, it's like a scaffold, right? So instead of the, the, the idea being like a pyramid where everything leads to the top and it's command and control and top down. So there's one leader at the top, capital L. But no, it's more like every day we all have opportunities to lead. It's like there's this vacuum that we step into. So I'm look, I'm sorry. I just got, I saw your book. It's your, your fault that you got me all riled up because how to live with courage and become an everyday leader. Yes, 100%. Yeah,
1: I love it. No, and that's amazing. And to think this, I love the scaffolding analogy just because nobody realizes, I don't say, not many people realize that when you, the freedom that comes to the leader when they don't feel like they're at the pinnacle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's a mental adjustment. I think you have to check your ego for sure. Mm-hmm. But when you do it and you see making the people, and scaffolding, and, and supporting the people around you to be better and grow to the greatest of their ability is when you are doing your best. Yeah. And that reflects well on you as opposed to someone taking your job Someone taking credit. Like all of that stuff goes out the yep. window when you see your role as a supporter. So I that I've never heard that analogy. I love
0: it. Well, so yeah, so the idea also is like on a scaffold in a, like if you've been to Hong Kong or to Asia,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, they'll
0: have a building with this massive scaffold out of bamboo, right? It'll yep. go up a hundred uh, uh stories. And the idea is that at any point on the scaffold you can have a crisis or a decision point. Like somebody needs to make a decision there and then or else the whole thing could come down. So if they have to kind of go back to the boss each time, that creates a real, makes the issue worse. So like in mm-hmm. with DHL, each courier at the spot had to be a decision maker, had to show leadership or whatever. I don't want, I'm not doing this to insert. I'm doing this to feed what you're saying because of course ugh, you have no idea. The fireworks, I love it. Okay, so <laughs> how to live with courage. So speak to, to being, a, to living with courage. Well, I think it's being comfortable being
1: uncomfortable, right? Like, I don't think you get rid of fear. That's never the point. Like, I still, I mean, I've spoken hundreds, if not thousands of times, and every time I still get a pit in my stomach before I go. It's manageable, but for me, that's kind of my check of like, okay, if, if I don't have that, I'm either arrogant or apathetic. And those mm-hmm. are two things I don't want to be, right? So, so I think it isn't the elimination of fear but the ability to feel fear and act anyway, to me is what courage is. And so being uncomfortable, being willing to be uncomfortable is critical. Like that's the only way we grow is to kind of break it down. And like, that's the thing, exactly what you were saying with the couriers, like, and I worked internally at UPS when I was in college. And so I feel like I have a very limited Mm. scope of that, but you also like, to give that control to people you have to have room you have to allow them to make mistakes mm-hmm. like they have to be able to screw up and make their best call and then then the answer isn't you made the wrong call it's it's getting information they don't mm-hmm. they think it's the best call in the moment either they don't have all yep. the data or they don't have the experience but they're better because they made the wrong call. And so you have to have a culture. Now, if they make the same mistake over and over and over again, that's a different story. But you have to allow for people to fail. You have to. Then you get a better system.
0: You can't. You, yeah, listen. For 15 years, sitting with Poe, uh, talking about this stuff, that's, ex- listen, that's exactly what he was saying. So, you, so for example, in our, in our language, we would, it's this thing. You have to have a culture of trust. So if you can trust that you're allowed to make mistakes, as long as they're not moral mistakes, you're fine. But you have to tell everyone. Mm-hmm. You know when you have that pit in your stomach, it's like you, you internalize or read that pit as fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So you need to have courage to push through that. So I, I love the idea that, uh, and I didn't come up with this, but the idea that, well, what happens if you, inter- if you reinterpret that pit? not as fear, but as excitement. It's like, oh, I'm about to Mm -hmm. speak in front of a thousand people. What I feel right now is super excited and holy. Like I'm I'm like, I'm jittery and whatever.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's just like, to me, it is, it's less even fear, but like a mindfulness of the weight, right? Mm -hmm. Like that there, and I, to go back to your, the trust piece, like I think there is a weight in trust, right? People are trusting That the message I have is impactful, that I'm going to leave people better than I found them. I am trusting in myself that I can deliver that message, that I can read the room, that I've done my homework on the audience to make sure it's most applicable and relatable for Mm -hmm. them, right? Like there is weight in that. And so you want, there's like the stress of the positive outcome, right? Like you want it to matter. Right. You want what you're doing to matter and that is just my internal gauge of is i even fear like i don't really fear i'm going to screw i i failed terribly terribly at one early in my career at one highly important event mm-hmm. because i didn't want to be afraid ah. so i had an overconfidence oh, okay. going into it and it and it was still i mean it was it was solid. Like it, it got positive feedback, but it wasn't my best version. Didn't fully take advantage of the opportunity that was in front of me. And I swear I would never do that
0: again. Mm-hmm. I would
1: never be – it changed my relationship with the fear, right? It was nothing to get rid of.
0: Yeah. It was a learning moment. Like you. So here we are. You're talking about it because you learned something amazing. Right. I am so sorry that we have to go on to the next photo.
2: Yeah. No, it's okay.
0: And I'm so thankful that we're talking. This is great. Okay. I love it. Boom. I want to say hard left, not because. Sure. So in it is, okay, so I've described it. it. The light is perfect. So it's like sunny outside, really beautiful. I'm going to talk about the background first. So the sky yeah. has a few wispy clouds. It's a nice bright blue. I can see maybe the hints of a beach, maybe, like the ocean far off and some like rocks. I mean, if you've been to Nova Scotia, it kind of looks like Nova Scotia. I'm Canadian, so that's how I can see it, say it. Uh, there's like salt water. Look, all of that is fuzzy. It's in the background. In the foreground are four people. This is like the fuzziest, warmest photo. On the left is a, is a woman with... A boy on her shoulders. On the right is another woman, which I think is you, because it's the same mm-hmm. hair, uh, holding yeah. another smaller boy, kind of looking through the whole thing. This looks like a family photo, yeah. and everybody is just radiating.
1: Sweet. Oh yeah, that is so. That's my So That's uh, that's me, and then my wife, uh, and then our two boys. The oldest one is Luke, and the youngest one is Max. Mm. Um, and this picture is just pure joy to me. We were on a vacation together. Like the first one, we were in Mexico, mm-hmm. um, but we were right by a beach and we were, it was just, we were, it was an amazing time. We were with friends, really just exploring, exploring what I So Max, uh, our youngest was born, um, at 26 weeks. So okay. he was born three months early. So he spent wow. three months in, in the NICU during COVID. So that was a super, super challenging time for us. And he was immunocompromised for a while and, and, and we were uh, extra cautious. And so hadn't really, we had seen family, but hadn't really taken many family vacations since. And so this was kind of the, the first one and, and it, you know, it took us a couple of days to settle in, but this is like halfway through the trip and it is just, um, you know, I feel like that it's, I think being, I mean, everything, like everyone in that photo teaches me every day, teaches Mm -hmm. me how to be a better person, teaches me what my limitations are, teaches me the things I need to work on, teaches me what's truly important, like there's nothing that I gain more.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's it's wild, it was this, you know, that was like a significant shift in my life, and I was older when I, uh, my wife carried both of our kids, I was 45 when we had our first kid. Okay. You know, like I was on the older side of of parenting, right? Um, which I think for me, I I don't think I would have been ready before that, and I can't imagine doing it with anybody else other than my wife. Yeah. But also, like it's hard on your knees. <laughs> my <laughs> knees are different at forty five <laughs> than they were at twenty five.
0: Yep. Okay. Wow. Okay. So so many uh, uh, points of entry to talk about this. Okay. This is great. So from your experience and obviously once you become a parent you become like in in our world in my world and what I've trained in <clears throat> is service network leadership it's like the parent the family really is the if you're if you're born into a family which we can say with 99.9% confidence that most people are that is your first experience of a of a service network and mm-hmm. we say that parents give parental service and newborns give a newborn service. Even in, mm-hmm. in our mind, service is the connection, is the energy between people. So, uh, your son, who was very young, in uh, how how what's what's his name again? Sorry, uh, Max. Max. So so even when Max is a newborn, uh, born premature, even that is in a weird way of thinking about it offers a kind of service, and that cements the beginnings of your relationship because he of course will not remember any of that but you do very tangibly and palpably and that feeds how you connect with him so um no question take it from there like what does what did i say just mean what does that mean to you and how do you connect it to to the bigger picture of what you're trying to communicate
1: yeah, well, it was, it's so wild, you know, when you said, how do we, you know, it is every moment a gift. When he was born, it was it was a really scary time for our family, and was he going to make it, and it was unexpected, and Luke had gone full term, and so we didn't really expect this to happen, and it happened very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I mean, it had a positive outcome, but there was something that felt very tragic about it. Oh, for um, sure. Again, my wife carried both of our kids, and that last – three months is pretty formative in that bond uh-huh. between the birthing parent and the child, right? Like that is, you can feel them. They're moving around. It's constantly present. It's like, there's like something there. And, uh-huh. and that was taken away, oh, right? Okay. Which is, which is hard obviously yep. for me. And I, and I recognize that and I appreciate that and, and I, and I acknowledge the challenges that is for my wife. For me, I got like an extra three months with our kid. Right, right. Like, as the you know, I was there in the NICU. I held him every day. He couldn't exclusively breastfeed, so he was taking a bottle. Right, like mm-hmm. so. There's this. There's this moment in those three months that for me was significantly different than what it was like. I was in this very supportive role when our first kid come because came because we didn't know what we were doing mm. and you know what I mean we were I was just like running support doing all the things but the second one came and we were both fully in it and it's like what was taken from her was a gift to me and like his resilience his just obviously he had no choice but there was nothing he could do but be
0: yeah of course of course course.
1: you know so that that was such a so informative to me of like how to be, who to be in that environment, you know, it was, and, and his, and he certainly wasn't, I mean, you can't like use the word selfish, but it was just, just this very beautiful example of the only thing he had to do was take care of himself the best he could. No, Of course. Right? Yeah, of course. And, and I feel like in all, like the, this, the connection that we had was so fundamental in that, that I never would have had had he not come early. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like, I mean, I guess wishing it over again, I wouldn't <laughs> want him to, mm-hmm. but I am so very grateful for that. And mm-hmm. that time that I had that, that I never had with our other one.
0: Right. I think when you have children, of course we, we've, it's hard not to focus on the birth, right. As parents and you focus on the birth but I think once you become a parent you realize oh wait a second that's just that's actually that's just the that's just the start that, that that isn't the that isn't even the introduction that's like that's actually and and from my experience it's like every single birth is you know some people would call it a miracle but every single birth is its own drama is its own like unbelievable standout moment right it's like it's not Luke, right? Luke is your first. Yeah. It's not like Luke's birth was just like, oh yeah, what you know? It was fine. It's just a birth, whatever. It's just, right. of course, it was totally different. But but obviously, both experiences taught you so much, which is fine. Right. Now let's pull back and say, okay, how do we distill that into into something who's listening, so that it's not just like a touching, very touching story of of survival and how your family came to be, but how can we generalize that lesson for somebody?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that it is being very mindful of what which relationships, regardless of of who they are, like the relationships that really ground you, right? Mm. Those relationships, those handful of people. And this could be it, I feel like I've had this relationship with my parents I've had this relationship with friends. Like I come home or go home. I walk upstairs at the end <laughs> of the day and my kid doesn't care how bad I messed up.
2: Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It
1: just, it, there's like an unconditionalness and an acceptance about that. And I think those are the relationships that we really root in Sure, and the ones that that we draw from. And, and I think also that we have to nurture, right? Like I mm-hmm, think those mm-hmm. are, and I think to always see the reciprocity in all relationships, right? So even in a work environment, right? Like to be able to, to know that you are all that, that never goes, it's never a one way street, right? It's always two way. Like it doesn't matter where you are on the org chart. My position is always that I have something to enrich you and you have something to enrich me. And I feel like that's my same relationship with my kids, right? Of like, you you have to know that that goes both ways. And a lot of times we get in that like, top down, like you were saying, yeah.
0: Just pause for a second. I have a cat that's freaking out in the background. I don't know <laughs> if you can hear it. Just once... I did,
1: I wondered. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Everything okay? Well, along with children, children are one side of the spectrum of experience. And then sure. we have the elderly, the extreme elderly, which is the other far side of the experience, right? You know, it's like that curve. Sure. So he was wicking out the, like total, like he's a, he's very old and he was just wicking out because uh, he didn't have food. And it's just like, yep. you're going to be okay. You're fine. <laughs> uh, before so rudely interrupted. Okay. Off to Mexico, being a parent, how did you end up l- looking at leadership and looking at courage and looking at at this being your your world like where did this come from
1: well i think it was i mean for me at least there was this experience of coming out that was very formative i mean i feel like a lot of the ways the lessons we learn if if we can be open to it the lessons that we learn and how to treat other people is rooted in how we were mistreated or even mm. our misjudgments or You know, I think a lot of times we say, you know, we don't want people to stereotype us, but we don't look and see how we stereotype other people, right? Or or how we group people in. So it was, it kind of started with this introspection and and this ask that people did this introspection, but then there was always this like, and then what? Like, what do I do with this? How do I how do I have this understanding of myself and bring it into the world in 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 a positive way? And ideally open it up for other people to be able to have a have a similar experience of of self-awareness and connection and to really kind of root in empathy and have the inroads of that connection be vulnerability through sharing our own stories and not the times and that to me is like such a huge leadership piece like I don't want to know when my boss won the award right like I want to know when my boss screwed up and what they do about it You know, like that, I I think, I think seeing that realness in our leaders is what makes it relatable. But I think so many people have a fear of that. So I think it was kind of this road of, of starting to do these, these talks and, and sharing my story and having that be giving people permission to have uncomfortable conversations through this lens of empathy, through this lens of Nobody's going to judge you for saying the wrong thing because what's worse than saying the wrong thing is saying nothing. Like, I know if you're trying to be an ally, I know if you're, you're, you're trying to understand it better. Um, so that was kind of the lens to, to get to the point. And then once you figure that out, I think the, the step to leadership is in being an active participant and changing a culture where that's the expectation, not just a single team or a single interaction or a single relationship, but, but that's the expectation within the entire organization.
0: Yeah. My daughter now is wigging out. This is <laughs> <laughs> They just take turns. That's all okay, right. Okay, hold on a second. Look, I know it makes me look like a real clown. No, no, no. You're good. I get it. All this will be cleaned out and you will...
1: To me, like, that's the point at which we connect. Of like, how old are your kids? You've been through it. Like, that was one of the first first connection points with, friends was like it doesn't matter like if you both have kids or you have any other challenges in your life but like if you if i have kids and my heterosexual cube mate also has kids like nobody cares who you're sleeping with you know what it's like to be up all night with a sick kid like it doesn't matter right there's like we we get rid of the things that that make us different and talk about the things that make us the same and i and so then So now I have this comfort and trust in you of like, he gets it. If my kid walked in, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be ideal, but like you would get it right. Like you, I know there's like a deeper level of understanding when we share things that are not the two dimensional version of ourselves. So it doesn't bother me and and I (laughs) trust you to edit the podcast as you see fit. But again, like that's real Yep. and like that and real is what's relatable. Not like some polished version of it. If you watch the second TEDx talk that I did, I screwed up mm-hmm. and I was having this conversation and I was implying the, the woman that I was speaking with was a native Spanish speaker. English was her second language. I wasn't. And I screwed up who spoke what mm-hmm. and just assumed it would get edited out. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like flubbed my way through it with some long pauses and they didn't edit it out. Oh. Which was great because it was like, this realness, right? Like there was like, right, right. my real reaction in it was compelling enough by the people that decided to edit it. Mm-hmm. And for better or for worse, like that was part of it. But I also, I think, I mean, obviously editing's necessary, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know what, what version do people actually want?
0: Okay. Yes. And we could easily talk about what is editing in terms of our lives, right? Like in terms of the learning process, but to keep it going. Uh let's move on to the next photo. All right, next photo, got it. Potato sacks. <laughs> okay, so it's a photo of two people in potato sacks. It looks no no, yeah, so so on these like this wired little frame is is this uh, yellow sign and it says potato sacks and on the left is that you on the left um, yep. with the sunglasses okay yep Just holding up a potato sack you're you're standing in it and on the mm-hmm. right is uh, is a gentleman wearing a green shirt white cap white shorts or pants in a potato sack as well both of you are kind of smiling kind of like almost sheepish yeah. In the far, far background is the porta potties and these beautiful large trees. You're in a park. The grass is like this beautiful, high, lush green, but very short. Uh, I'm sorry, high, but short, sort of clover style, uh, nice grass. Nobody else is in a potato sack. So it's just you two. It doesn't seem like there is anybody around you guys. So, um, What's this story? What what are, what are, what lesson are we going to learn from this?
1: So this for me was um my north star in business and leadership. Oh. And just like how to be a good human, it has always been my dad. Like that. That's is your dad. Just, that's my dad. Oh, sweet. We have a family business that runs um girls fast pitch softball tournaments back in Ohio. Oh, wow. Um So it was, uh, yeah, so it was a, he was a serial entrepreneur his entire life, retired. My mom was also an entrepreneur. Um, She retired a little bit before he did. And after six months, she was like, you need to come up with something for your dad to do. Mm -hmm. We've been married for 45 years and he's driving me crazy. You got to get him (laughs) out of the house. And so he had coached me, had coached my sister and then continued to coach was a really good softball coach. And I don't know, I've never met anyone in my life that has ever been more interested in fun than my dad. Like Aww. it is, that is just what drove him. He was like always goofing around. He was just like, a, he just, everything, there was nothing that shouldn't be fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So we,
2: he, and he would
1: always just follow these crazy ideas. and would be like, wouldn't it be fun if dot, 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 uh so he created this thing at the softball tournaments and these are like big i mean these are 200 team events like they're big oh, events
2: wow. wow. um
1: and he would be like you know what would be really fun is if we had this area that the kids could just play and do things like hula hoop and potato sacks and whatever and be like dad why like why do you have to make it harder like it's already hard enough why do you have to continue to make it harder and he be
2: like, well, because it's fun.
1: Like, who oh, would want to do that?
2: Nice. So we had
1: finally pulled it off, and like, got so that was just he and I in one of the one of the little stations that the kids could do was uh, mm-hmm. was potato sex. So he, um, yeah, that was that was it. And then um, six weeks before my oldest was born, he had an aneurysm, oh, uh, and never, and he it was on vacation with my mom, had an aneurysm. Uh, my sister and I went to go meet them on vacation, uh, and he never woke up. So that was right before, yeah. Like, well, at that point, it was like a week, so five weeks before my first son was born. Oh, so man. he uh, and he has two. My sister has two do- who two daughters. So we had two granddaughters, but never had a grandson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were from a family of two girls and whatever. So mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. I still run the softball tournaments in the summer. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. but my mom and I do, and it's a, a really great team of of. Friends that are like family to us that we run them with. But it, that was one of my, I think, business of like going back and kind of surviving, Mm -hmm. going back the year after that happened. So it happened in November and our events are in June and July. And like having to learn on the fly, I think was important. I mean, there's so many, I can go on with this one forever, but there's so many lessons in that, right? I mean, I think the first one, the biggest one was I remember going back and like for the first time, and we had done it together for 10 years at that point Mm -hmm. and for the first time it wasn't fun
2: Uh and I didn't like I knew uh, uh, you can edit this part out Um, I I was in charge of logistics and making the thing happen and he was always in charge of keeping it light and keeping it personal and
1: he left and that was gone and I knew that
2: it was equally as important for me to center that joy in the experience
1: because that's why people came to our events I mean they were good and they were well run and they were organized and all the things but at the end of the day like your team could go one in four but if you got this um sink your coach in the dunk tank, mm. you remembered the event, right? Mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm, was like mm-hmm. we had dunk tank like that was it. And so my role wasn't just to continue the events.
2: Mm-hmm. It was to continue
1: the culture of the events. And yeah. then that was on me mm-hmm. and that was a privilege, not a burden.
0: Of course, of course.
1: And how do you embrace that? Right? Like, how do you do all the things? Like, I don't know. I didn't, I don't think I realized, I think I took for granted mm. what he did. Cause as he, he, I mean, he pulled away slightly as he got older in like the nitty gritty pieces
2: of it. But it just spoke to me of how your energy One
1: person's energy, especially somebody who's making the calls, but sets the tone for the staff, for the event, how contagious that is, and that it wasn't just X's and O's, Mm -hmm. and that was a formative change in the breadth of what leadership looked like to me.
0: Uh, um, Beautifully said. and these conversations you know doors get opened and we just sort of waltz through and i you know come in and we've just met and the the sort of the 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 platform or the foundation is set of leadership with courage and so the idea of like sharing this part of who you are and your experience with this really sweet photo potato sacks with your father and then showing and sharing that that vulnerability because, you know, of, of having that moment of, because this is your life so so when you're talking about this it's not this antiseptic thing, this is part of who you are in the same way that he is part of who you are and running this, this event for all these kids and talking about it just brings you back, um, is what makes it real, so this idea of, of setting the tone and, and leading by example and which you are clearly doing by sharing this. How does that influence you as a speaker in that when you go in and like, so right now you're, you're very comfortably being able to channel and access that real and not, not hide from it, which takes courage, right? Cause many people would be like, oh, I don't want to look whatever, you know, or sound whatever have this artifice but be really authentic and 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 genuine so obviously who you are is an extension of who he is and was and so how much of what you talk about were lessons that you learned from him took a while to get there but there's a the question
1: <laughs> yeah no i mean i feel like so many things and it's like you know versions of it I'm sure lessons that I teach my kid, you know what i mean it's it's mm-hmm. like uh, is it the exact same story? No, is it like the moral compass that I've had my entire life, the concept of hard work, like all to find the joy to do the silly thing to push the envelope a little bit to maybe not always follow all the rules like that it that is it, and that mm-hmm. is. I feel like is a huge responsibility for me. I also feel like there's certain parts of me to be a speaker, to establish trust, you know, in the way that we talked about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't know him or a little bit about him, you don't know me okay. like, in okay. the same way that like, you don't know my, and my mom is the same way my kids, right? Like I don't do a 60 minute keynote on my kids but they always come up because if you don't know those, those little droplets, you don't know me. And to trust me, you have to know me. And when you know, to me,
2: Mm -hmm. when you know
1: things that like peel it back a little bit, like I don't have to show you the whole book, but I can peel it back enough that you're like, all right, I'm in, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, all right, I'll I'll show up. It's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, is, it's like the Annie in the in the poker game. Like, all right, I'm I'm in. Are you in?
2: Right. right, and, right and so right. I think,
1: and that vulnerability, to me at this point, like doesn't feel there's nothing vulnerable about that anymore because it's just
2: my life and my yep, truth. And, exactly.
1: You know, so it doesn't feel there's there's no risk in it because I don't put weight in the judgment, if any that comes to it because yeah. it's just my truth.
0: Okay, yeah. So so another side of what I was doing with my client Poe was we're really looking at helping entrepreneurs, right? So he wrote a book on entrepreneurship uh and and with a co-author and I was sort of supporting that. So one of the things that that fascinates me is that okay, so in Hong Kong Hong Kong is a is a city where entrepreneurship is just humongous. Like the entrepreneurs coming out of Hong Kong is just bonkers. But in the same way, I go back to the US. My my sister lives in Savannah. And I'm reminded of that there's a certain spirit, like this American can-do attitude or whatever, that is so is unique, you know. Um it comes from a totally different place than what we find in Hong Kong. But and you talk about your about your father and your mother both being entrepreneurs and and this is obviously something in you as well like these are all branches that are alive and well in you which you will probably give to your kids so how do you support entrepreneurs
1: well i feel like it's there's a mindfulness around it you know of where you spend your money and what do you do like it is it is supporting entrepreneurs is not something i do it's like a vital part of who i am You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So I feel like that's what we teach our kids in that way of supporting our local economy. It's not framed in that, that's just what we do, right? And so I think entrepreneurs so much now in leadership, they scale a lot of times at such a rate that I think there's a lot of it's easy if you're a solo entrepreneur. Entrepreneur to just rely on yourself. But then you step to that next level, you have to lead it because you are it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like the brand is you and and how do you get other people to embrace that and expand that? So a lot of the work that I do with entrepreneurs is really getting clear on who am I and how am I separate from this entity and what are the you know, it's like a Venn diagram, right? It's like yeah here's the entity, here's me, there's going to be a significant overlap. How do we get people to embrace that and take that on as theirs, even though it's not theirs? Because I think you're going often with entrepreneurs from a handful of people and then you're growing and you're trusting. You know what I mean? I think there's a there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability in that too. So I think it leads, it leads through. I think there's a through line in all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Just so that people can have it in their heads, how do they learn? Okay, so the name of the book and where do they find the book online?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find it online. You can find it at um, independent bookstores. You could go Barnes & Noble or Amazon, um, any of those places. So it's uh, Step Up, How to Live with Courage and Become an Everyday Leader just by me. And there's links to it on my website, which is just ashbeckham.com
0: ashbeckham.com i'm going to say it 17 times so people remember ashbeckham.com yeah let's say uh see you to your okay what's your what's your father's name Ah, uh, bill bill okay bye bill beautiful photo let's move on to the next photo all right So this is your life, and you kind of when the anchor of the photo has one, two, three, four, five, fo- five women together uh, in what looks like a cave with the light in the background on the walls. You're all dressed rather nicely. Oh, it's probably not a cave. It might be because you're all holding up glasses of wine. That yours, I don't see your glass of wine. No, yours has a bit of wine, and I could just see it in the background. These big, beautiful glasses with red uh one woman's glass is empty like she just went right through (laughs) yeah you're all together the smiles aren't as warm as the smiles of your family I don't know how you got the photo like in the photo of your family with giving it up with such laughter because that's a tough thing to get from kids to have just that open so I don't know what joke you made (laughs) like that is missing a little bit from this photo because this you're all together it looks like colleagues together in maybe a wine cellar. Sweet photo. Bunch of friends together, maybe colleagues together. Um What's this? So this is my
1: bachelorette party with my mom, my sister, my aunt, and my cousin.
0: Okay. Well, okay. This is okay. So, totally not what I was expecting. Who is your mom? Because you all look the same age. It looks great.
1: <laughs> I know my mom. So my mom is. I'm trying to see. I'm trying to think of the the picture. I'm trying to get an image of the picture I sent. Is there someone with glasses on? Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's my mom. Okay. Yep. She could be the one who's polished off her glass first. <laughs> I would. That
1: would not surprise me. I that would not surprise me. Awesome. Yeah, we went to Napa for a long weekend. Uh, right before i like the fall before i got married
0: so this yeah so this so how long ago was this photo
1: uh we got married in 2016 so seven years ago
0: okay okay so the the immediate question is why like what can we learn from this why why put this photo here well
1: it's for me it was just strength and resilience of those women. I just mm-hmm. grew up in an environment where these were the most formative, for better or for worse, the most formative people in my life, I you know, and so that was and you know, we had been through some challenges and like continue to go through some challenges, but I think there is just this this connection and this safety that exists in this and Mm -hmm. this honesty and like a place where you could have some hard conversations. Mm. Um, This group of women, we would always, and my grandmother, my mom and my aunt's mom and I were, were super close. And so there was this kind of passing down of traditions and expectations, which sometimes are good and sometimes are bad. I think this is just like such a, these are all women that have been either been with me my entire life or I've been with them their entire life my mm-hmm. sisters 5 years younger my cousins 10 years younger but there's just a i think family whether it's your birth family or your chosen family there's just like a knowingness mm-hmm. uh and an acceptance that is is there that i think is again it's the the roots it kind of keeps you Grounded, it doesn't mm-hmm. let you get too ahead of yourself. I sure. think there's always accountability there, you know what I mean? It like
2: mm-hmm.
1: keeps you in check in a lot of ways. Yeah. Also, biggest supporters, biggest fans, the ones always cheering the loudest. Yeah. And you're it's also you got to like unload the dishwasher after you're playing yeah. the championship
2: game, kind of game. sure.
0: Only because I can, like, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm trying to make connections to this no- notion of of leadership leading with courage because in the the, the, the sweetness of the photo is also that you're all together because you know one another. And in a way, I think it's, you're all holding each other. There's a big sort of group hug feeling and mm-hmm. there's no way of knowing who is the, the, the focal point in a sense mm-hmm. of the, mm-hmm. you know, is it, you know the woman on the right, the woman on the left, the woman in the middle, you in the back. You're all equally present. Like there's no there's no hierarchy uh, mm-hmm. necessarily. So if I try to read this through the 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 lens of of leadership of leading with courage, how would you address like a teachable moment if some when where somebody doesn't know? It's just like it's a group photo of you in the cellar drinking wine. Mm -hmm. what can we learn about leadership from this?
1: I think that it's, I think my thought and that would be that it's important to take the time to celebrate. Okay. To take the time to acknowledge the small accomplishments and certainly me getting married was not a small accomplishment, but, but there was a presence of all of these people coming from across the country To witness, to bear witness, and celebrate that moment, and Mm -hmm. I think that there's so many times that we stumble, or that that you know we have all these small finish lines. It's almost like in business, you're you never get to the final finish line, right? There's Mm -hmm. the new deadline, the next thing, the next thing, and how do you find your people and really acknowledge those milestones Mm -hmm. and and not glaze over them for lack of convenience or or the things like I, I think. We don't celebrate enough. Okay. When we do in business, when we do something, because you can't celebrate. I mean, you can celebrate the completion of the project, but you're never going to. You know, it's not like school where you finish the semester and then there's a break. Like it never, uh, it never yeah, stops. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like life is that way, right? It never stops. So if you don't prioritize celebrating those things, big or small, with your people or the people you accomplish them with or whatever, then you never will. Right. And, and, and we, ju- we, we, we must, like, it helps us, it helps us find the joy. It helps us have something to look forward to. It fosters in, you know, in business, it fosters the connection. Like, I think there's something you said for the, yeah, we did this.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm.
1: I like have the mug to prove it kind of deal. I think that that continues to build that trust, that, Collective acknowledgement, I think is just, is critical. Mm-hmm. And I think leaders so often set the time frame that they're the ones that have to be, no, I know we've got meetings all next week, but we are leaving at noon today and we're having a long lunch right. because we're going to talk about the completion of this. Almost like a, it's almost like therapy, right? Of like getting it through when you move to the next and move to the next and you don't take time to acknowledge, you also don't take the time to reflect and fix best practices or find resolutions or all the things, right. That, that are not just, we're not just cogs completing projects. We're humans that were affected by the process, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think there's some humanity in that celebration.
0: Yes. Okay. So we're, we're just pulling out of the pandemic and we're pulling out of like the, the um, dramatic, Change reorientation of communities of our societies of our families of how we live to all of a sudden reorient things where all of a sudden you have to work from home all of a sudden you have to to kind of reorganize what you think the world works or how the world works so you're so it's true that you know you have to take a moment to sort of to celebrate like what well, you know a wedding really is okay we're going to we're going to stop what we're going to do is we're going to stop. The, the train, let everybody get off so we can all say, oh, look, we're all in this together. We're here. This is what we're doing right now. So how has your thinking shifted in terms of celebration, in terms of leadership? And I love how the, this notion of step up, step up as their title is the kind of the, the, the culmination or the, the core idea. And you've got the feet. And then you've got your sons who, who as they are born and, and learn to walk and learn to talk, these are fundamental things about being human, bringing together leadership and celebration and stepping up. How has your thinking changed because of the pandemic and And I know I could see it in your face and you're just like, "What is the question?" but how has your how has your your thinking evolved in the past three years from that moment of you together in that cellar
1: I mean, I think it has to just be expansive, you know, like I didn't know sitting in that cellar, I had my ideas of what. I mean, my dad was still alive at that point, right? Like, I had my ideas of my trajectory. I had my ideas of what marriage was going to be like. I had my ideas of what parenthood. Would be. I had all of my ideas and pandemic or not, those like all
2: exploded. Mm-hmm. None of them were rooted
1: in reality.
2: They were <laughs> rooted in like,
1: in some fairy tale version of what people tell you it's supposed to be like or Mm -hmm. maybe the filtered lens that you see and that is not what it is Mm -hmm. right like i mean i I feel like i give my parents credit and also blame because their marriage never looked hard Mm. and i know you can't have two humans and have it not be hard. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. an, impi- it's an impossible thing. So they hid that from us, which was great. But then I had this weird expectation that if, I mean, for the, my first formative relationships, the first fight, I was like, well, I guess this isn't going to work. And I would like walk uh, away. right? Like, okay. So I think that there's, so I feel like I had these expectations. I had these expectations of what parenthood are going to be like, because people don't tell you, how
2: hard it is yeah yeah right yeah.
1: like it's not, oh, that's not like your selling point oh, i feel like my people don't
0: <laughs> oh i don't i mean i think i think we hear that it's hard but until Maybe you're we
1: don't believe it until yeah.
0: you're in the trenches you don't know how 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 shit work can really be
1: <laughs> yes absolutely like you don't know you just have no idea and i don't mm. think i understood like the scope or scale, the intensity mm. of it, both like the love. Like I remember hearing somebody say it feels like your heart is walking around outside your body mm-hmm. and being so dismissive of that. And then that's actually what it feels like. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You see yeah. your kid's feelings get hurt or you do all these things like that. It's like that is challenging mm. and the intense love and protection and that when you're talking about your kids, you're like immediately in your amygdala. You know what I mean? Like you are yep. in that very reactive, very reptilian part of your brain. So you're not making, like you see parents lose their mind and you're like, well, I mean, mm. there's no excuse, but like I get it. Right. <laughs> like,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: or mm-hmm. that like stressed out or like how little you sleep. Right. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just, I haven't set an alarm in years. Yep, because they just wake up, and when they wake yep. up, we wake up.
2: Like yeah, absolutely,
1: that's, I don't ever wake up earlier than my children. <laughs> There's no reason to ever be awake before they are, unless you want like a little piece of quiet.
0: <laughs> but I'd rather sleep. Spoken like a true parent,
1: <laughs> right? Like there are these things you like sat there, and you think you know, and and that's the thing. Like you, I'm not discounting that version of me because I knew everything I knew up to that point. Yep. But I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so like I didn't know that idea of just like that phone call when my dad had his aneurysm was like, wow. dro- I dro- it dropped me to my knee like literally sure. physically dropped me to my knees.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know that loss. And, and now I feel like I'm a resource. I feel like that is kind of that leadership thing of like, you don't go through the battles and get the scars and do the things in your personal or professional life to tell people how to do them differently or better than they're doing them. You go through them to be a resource when shitty things happen to other people too.
2: Mm-hmm, right. Like mm-hmm. to me,
1: that's what leadership is. It's like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm not going to tell you. And that's like the hardest thing with kids. I think is I can tell you how to do it. Right. Right. but then all you're learning is how I would do it. You're not learning how to do it wrong to then learn how to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. So I feel like that, I feel like that is, that's kind of the, the leadership piece for me in all of that is you just, it's like having, having your heart broken the first time or mm-hmm. falling in love for the first time. Or like all mm-hmm. these, like this getting fired for the first time, like you can, it translates anywhere, but you just, There's just some things you can read about it. You could have your best friend tell you about it, but till it happens. Yeah. yeah. You just don't know. And then, you know, and are you better for it? I don't know. I don't think there's like a qualifier that goes on. there. you're, you're just more you because it happened
2: to you. Right.
0: Yeah. It's just part of, of your own development and growth and your life. Like, Like everybody. Right. Right. Totally. Ash Beckham. Dot com, Ash Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not a dot com, but you're you're great. Oh, so great!
2: Shooting it raw. Yes, shooting it raw.